Yeah. Where's all the cranberry sauce? That's for Jerry Seinfeld. Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about the death of David Coughlin. Well, he's famous, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like place in Nevada. And where are we going for this one, Katie? This one is in New Mexico. <laughs> Not Nevada, but in the Four Corners nonetheless. And where'd you do your research on this one, Katie? An article on the LA Times, the book Journal of the Dead by Jason Kirsten, and then an unnamed documentary on YouTube. In this unnamed documentary, what do you think the accuracy is? I mean, it was interviews with actual people on the case, so... Did you get the names right? Like Coughlin. Oh, it wasn't like a homemade documentary. It was like a TV series, but they just didn't actually like credit what TV series it was. So it wasn't found footage. No. Where would they have gotten the footage from? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was just thinking Cloverfield in my head. Jake legitimately just thinks found footage is like people wandering in the woods and finding like documentary footage. <laughs> like Blair Witch style they yeah. find after everyone well, I was dies. Thinking Cloverfield, but yeah, just like that. Did you think Cloverfield was real? No, I didn't think Cloverfield was real. I got a bone to pick with Cloverfield, but now is not the time. Next. I'm, I like the movie. It was a fine movie. Camera work was goddamn terrible. That was the point of the movie. Oh, Oh, that was the point of the movie? It wasn't supposed to be a good horror movie? The point was to have shitty camera work ruin a movie for a child? Yeah. This isn't Shady and the Ginger, okay? This is a fucking podcast. Katie and I have opinions. I'm not editing them out. So why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one, Katie? David Coughlin was born in the small town of Wellesley, Massachusetts, where he lived until his late teens when he moved to Amherst to attend college at the University of Massachusetts. In 1991, as a freshman, he met Rafi Kodikian, and it was a platonic love at first sight. So these were like hetero life mates. Yes. Now see, when I first saw Rory, I was like, that guy looks like a dick. When I first saw Jake, I'm like, God damn it, I have to train this idiot? Why is he in call work? Yeah, I went and smashed his his stuff. Rory was on crutches. And I don't think I was on crutches. He had this look about him. Rafi was a sophomore at Northeastern University, and the two met through a friend of Dave's girlfriend. They immediately bonded over their mutual love for Cheers and Seinfeld. <laughs> Best shows of the time, I guess. Both excellent shows. Seinfeld though. sucks. Whoa, oh, come Katie, on. what is with your terrible opinions? I'm, I've got them, and I'm going to tell them to you. Wow, I like Seinfeld. The two would hang out every time Dave was in Boston, and in 1996, when Dave graduated with his degree in environmental science, he moved back to Wellesley, where he was only 15 minutes away from Rafi's apartment. In the 90s, no one took environmental science seriously, did they? They did. It back was a hard 90s. field to get into. Back in the 90s, when there was no such thing as global climate change. Yeah, no one believed it. Yeah. Al Gore hadn't even told everyone about it. 
Yeah. Or invented the internet. Hal Gore discovered global warming and global climate change. The two quickly became inseparable, spending every minute they weren't working together, skiing, off-roading, or seeing movies. In 1999, Dave was 25 and Rafi 26. Dave was working at the Wellesley Town Hall, dealing with traffic complaints after discovering that his interest, environmental policy, was not an easy career to get into. Rafi had graduated with a degree in journalism and did freelance work for the Boston Globe, mostly writing about his travels. Rafi was a well-experienced cross-country traveler, often taking his Jeep in camping gear and driving out to wherever his heart desired. In 1999, Dave realized that listening to people complain about parking tickets wasn't what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. After some research, he discovered the Donald Bren School of Environmental Science and Management, located at the University of California, Santa Barbara. After doing some scouting, Dave learned he had to establish residency in California before he could apply to the school. At what seemed to be the drop of a hat, Dave quit his job and packed his car to move to California. Was Rafi like upset by this i mean he was sad his best friend was leaving but it's not like he was begging him to not go follow his dreams did uh, dave's girlfriend go with him at this point they had broken up Ooh, juicy little tidbit of information there is it yeah because you want theories oh i've got theories okay Knowing that Rafi had cross-country travel experience, and knowing that it would be their last big outing, Dave invited Rafi to join him on the trip. Rafi initially declined, having no time off left at his job in a financial firm. Journalism was a tough career to get your foot in the door, especially with just a bachelor's degree, so Rafi had taken a job he didn't really want while he freelanced. A few days before Dave was set to leave, Rafi called him up and told him he'd quit his job and he was coming on Dave's big adventure. And that's what they called it. Isn't that a movie? <laughs> it sounds like it. Pee-wee's big adventure would be the movie. Rafi and Dave's big adventure. Rafi and Dave's, right. <laughs> Wait, Mike and Dave need wedding dates? That's probably the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> this is a movie. It should be. On July 30th, 1999, Dave's Mazda protege was packed to the brim with his belongings and some casual camping gear. What is casual camping gear? Like a stove, a tent, some sleeping bags, like not stuff you would need to go camp in the middle of a 110 degree desert. Ah. Like water, Gatorade. Shade. Food. Um, mostly water. They didn't take really any with them. They had Gatorade and soda their entire trip. I mean, who doesn't love a little soda on vacation, though? Gotta have your soda. What about some cervezas? Do they have any beer? Oh, yeah, they drank the whole way. Everywhere nice. they stopped, they got drunk. Yeah, boy. What? <laughs> <laughs> not the same. Jake's just reminded of all of his road trips as a young boozer. <laughs> Dave picked Rafi up, and the two set off on their excursion, armed with a blank notebook where the two would document their journey together. Their first stop was in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Rafi's hometown. And we did an episode about Bucks County. It was the Cosmo DiNardo. Oh. He was from Bucks County. Cosmo DiNardo. <laughs> Bucks County murders. Yeah, that's true. Rory did that episode, didn't he? You no, did you that. did that one. My yeah. brother was here. Oh, yeah, that was me. We mm -hmm. shit on Pennsylvania pretty hard. 
Did we? Probably not as hard as we shit on New Mexico the last three weeks, so don't worry about it. After spending the night drinking with some of Rafi's friends, they headed off to Virginia to see Dave's sister. They then camped in Nashville, Tennessee, then headed to New Orleans. From there, they headed to Austin, Texas, where they booked a hotel room to catch their breath from their extremely fast-paced trip. They were ahead of schedule and had some extra time to stop at another city, but had to decide where. Over beers, Dave recalled a conversation he'd had with his uncle. If they had the time, he highly recommended they stop at Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. Which we discussed a few episodes back is not the best place to hide a body. After the 550-mile drive from Texas, they arrived in White City, the town just outside the Carlsbad Caverns National Park. Deciding to forgo our hotel, the two decided to save some money and camp in the park. Some sources I read say the two were actually out of money and had no choice but to find free camping as they couldn't afford a hotel. It was the late afternoon on August 4th when they walked into the park's visitor center and asked the ranger where they could camp for free. He told them it's 110 out. You can camp anywhere for free. No one would <laughs> recommend it, though. I wonder if they did say, like, hey, you know, it's kind of hot. <laughs> it's a little warm. Maybe, maybe avoid the area. The ranger told them the nearest campsite area was in Rattlesnake Canyon, about five miles from the center. That's another red flag. Yeah, don't camp in somewhere called Rattlesnake Canyon, especially when they're like, yeah, watch out for rattlesnakes. It's hot, and there's rattlesnakes out. It's a bad dream. Putting a lasso around you while you sleep doesn't keep the snakes away. That's just what stupid old cowboys say. What's... what? John Wayne. What did John Wayne say? You put a lasso around you when you sleep. Snakes don't come after you. Do they think the lasso's a snake? No, they don't cross over the lasso, see? Why, when do snakes ever come after you when you're sleeping? Yeah. Oh, clearly you've never slept in the desert. Yeah, well, apparently there's these fucking predator snakes just oh, yeah, coming to ones. curl up next to you. They don't curl up next to you, they get on top of you. One thing to note here is that although Rafi did have experience camping, neither had spent a lot of time in the desert. Being from Massachusetts, they were both unaware of just how serious it is to camp and hike in the desert in August, one of the hottest months of the year. It was around 95 during the day, but the canyon reached around 100 degrees when you were surrounded by rocks reflecting sunlight back at you. Yeah, it's a dry heat. Those who live in the desert areas, like us, know that hiking in such severe heat can take its toll almost immediately, especially for those that go unprepared. Us Tucsonians see weekly emergency rescues of hikers who think that a midday trek through one of our national parks is a good idea. The desert heat is not something to mess around with, and that's precisely what Dave and Rafi did. Rookie status. Yeah, bro. You should just stay inside when it's 100 plus. Yeah. Or have a camel back. Or, yeah, get a pet camel. Take it back with you. Yeah. They store water in their hump. You can kill it if you're ever See, stranded. I don't think that's true. <laughs> what else do you, where else do you think they store the water? In their belly? It's in their fat. In their fat. <laughs> it's not full. It's not like you can crack open a cold camel. Yeah, they call it a camelope. <laughs> the ones with the two humps are most desired. <laughs> the two filled out a camping permit, listing their names, make, model, and license plate of their car, and how long they planned to stay. They decided that they would camp in the park overnight, then head out in the morning and continue on to California. The park ranger went over what they needed, one gallon of water per person per day, and a topographical map of the area. 
Those are simple items. Two simple things. This is all you need to survive. Two simple things. So there's always like a harbinger before your death, as far as I can tell. This guy literally told them how to avoid death. Yes. Spoiler alert. Oh. The episode is called The Death of David Coughlin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's famous, right? They purchased the map, which neither knew how to read, and rather than buying the correct amount of water, they purchased three pints and two bottles of Gatorade. So that's one more thing that you need is the ability to read the read the map. Yeah. Okay. So they each got they got three pints, not even four. They didn't each get a pint. Was it were they being cheap? Were they out of money? I think they were. I mean, these it's a national park convenience store. So these bottles of water I think were like a dollar fifty ish. I think exactly they were like a dollar thirty eight, and they're a pint. So roughly, they would have to spend like thirty dollars on water probably. With huh. tax and everything. So, yeah. Better they than were death. Being cheap. And they didn't think they were going to be there that long. They, It was 6 o'clock at night. They were going to set up their camp, eat dinner, hike out at 8 o'clock in the morning. They, they're going to be there for 12 hours. Yeah, that's just, I guess, an experience. I don't even, like, go out for two hours of four-wheeling without, like, t- 12 bottles of water. <laughs> yeah, and being from Massachusetts, you could probably take three pints of water and be fine. But when it's... 90 degrees when you're trying to sleep it's not i mean i think yeah in massachusetts you can just like walk up to the the like side the hand railing and get three pints of water right off of it it's just dewy the whole city is a dewy place it's like right on the ocean right on the ocean salt water but it gets that breeze and that dew point Around 6 p.m., they arrived at the parking area, grabbed their tent, sleeping bags, and camping stove, and headed to the trailhead. What were they going to cook on a camping stove? Hot dogs. Oh, okay. Like good hot dogs, cheap hot dogs. Ballpark. Ballpark? That seems fancy. I'm thinking Bar S. Nah, man. It's the 90s. It's Ballpark. Bar S was around in the 90s, and it was fucking 40% beef back then. What was the other 60? Chicken, pork, and byproducts. Lips and assholes. The trail was marked by cairns set out by rangers, which are simply stacks of rock. It was a one-mile trek west into the canyon, and then the trail split off both north and south. As the two reached the bottom of the canyon, they stopped and each drank a bottle of water. Ooh, so now we're, we're doing a bottle count here. Um, let's see, we had three to start with, and we've got partially into our journey, and we drank one each. That leaves us, let's see, one, two... One bottle left. And a bottle of Gatorade. They did buy two bottles of Gatorade, but they left one in the car. Ooh, left one in the car. And because of the time period, we know this is not Limon Pipino Gatorade. No. The worst kind. Fortunately, it was not. The worst? The best. Literally disgusting. Wow, Katie has strong opinions. (laughs) Strong opinions tonight. Rather than choosing the larger, more traveled half of the trail to the south, they went north. Then, after around a mile, they left the marked trail entirely. Rafi later noted that their first fatal mistake was not stopping and noting their surroundings before they continued hiking. Eventually, they found a decent spot and set up camp. And Rafi said during his trial that they assumed that there would be, like, a marked campsite area where you are supposed to set up your tents, so they just kept walking, thinking, okay, at this next cairn, there's going to be 
a turnoff, and that's where we're supposed to set up camp. Oh, they wanted to just set up. You don't see that. Here's the thing: in Boston, when they camp, they all just huddle around little little garbage cans that are on fire, and they call that camping. So he was looking for a garbage can fire. Homeless people are just campers there. Yeah. We're going Boston camping because I lost my home and my job. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Long-term camping. Boston camping. I like it. The trick about camping is the desert is that it's literally the desert and it's all flat. And you can put your tent wherever you want. I mean, that's true. As long as it's not by uh, in, a, in Rattlesnake Canyon. Because putting a lasso around your tent won't keep the snakes away. For some reason... They decided that they were going to boil the hot dogs, using their last bottle of water to do so. Rather than put them over the hot water or the hot fire and just turn them on a stick. On their stove, yes. Yeah. That's how you're supposed to eat them when you camp anyways. I mean, but they ended up making delicious hot dog flavored water for later. <laughs> I think they dumped it out. Of course oh, they did. Idiots. Of course they did. They could have had so many nutrients. Oh man, they were doing it all for the nookie. Yeah. They shared the bottle of Gatorade they'd brought as they left the second in the car. After eating, they sat and talked for a while before falling asleep under the New Mexico sky. Around 8 a.m., the pair woke and packed their supplies, ready to head back to the Mazda and continue their trip. They walked for around a mile before coming to a cairn with a small path splitting off of it, heading what they thought was away from the riverbed at the bottom of the canyon. Instead, after walking for a bit, they began to realize their surroundings did not look familiar, and eventually, they were standing at the riverbed again. They backtracked, thinking they'd eventually find more cairns to point them in the right direction. Knowing they needed to head east to find their car, the two took out the topographical map and attempted to make sense of it. Did they know where they were? No? No, they had no idea. They don't know how to read the map. The area they were in was only around four square miles, so they assumed it wouldn't be difficult to find their way back out if they really were lost. After about three hours of walking and finding no cairns, the two realized they were dead wrong. They had no water and no idea where they were, and temperatures were rising into the 90s. What had happened was the two made it relatively close to the trailhead that would have led them back east to their car, but instead of taking a left, they went right, meaning they were heading west, further and further into the canyon as they walked. Around noon, the two were brought some relief from the heat when it began to rain. They had no way to collect water, so they opted to suck up small puddles that gathered on rocks and spit them back into their water bottles, collecting about three quarters of a pint each. Feeling refreshed, the two began to walk again. They quickly realized that they were not going to find the trail anytime soon, and it was a better idea to set up camp and wait for the rangers to come find them. Oddly enough, it seems that they believed their camping permit was almost like booking a hotel room. They said they'd be staying for one night, and if they didn't return in the time frame they'd stated, park rangers would be out to locate them. Unfortunately, this is the worst possible line of logic they could have followed. Park rangers do not meticulously keep track of every camper in the park and ensure they do not overstay their welcome. They were on their own, and no one was coming to look for them anytime soon. So, where they were camped is a fairly common camping area, then? No, I mean, they don't have, like, specific campsites set. You can camp there, but it's, I mean, Carlsbad Cavern is, it's a 
small national park, but it's still a relatively large area, so... And I don't think it's super well-staffed, so it's not like people are constantly driving around and being like, oh, that specific car was supposed to be gone a day ago. I see. I have to go kick them out, especially free camping. Around late afternoon, Dave and Rafi had set up camp along the riverbed and were prepared to hunker down and wait for rescue. They were exhausted, thirsty, and hungry, and decided that rather than eat the can of beans they were carrying, they'd snack on prickly pear fruit. I don't like beans in a can that are cold either. Better, probably better than prickly pear fruit, though. I don't know. Maybe. One time I was out four-wheeling with someone, and they took out beans and opened them and ate them cold out of the can. It was pretty gross. I've eaten cold beans before. Mm. They said they didn't want to eat the beans because they figured they were so full of sodium that it would dehydrate them further. Well, I mean, maybe it was... I always accidentally buy the no-salt-added beans. These guys have weird lines of logic, because that makes a ton of sense. But them getting lost doesn't make a ton of sense. As they laid at their camp, praying the park ranger would be coming soon, one of the men noticed lights in the distance, directly in front of their camp. It looked like headlights traveling over near the mountains, which the men took to mean it was where the parking lot was. Carefully noting the direction, the men slept for the night and decided to head that direction in the morning. Before they left the camp, they left a note for any rangers who might come looking for them. It read, Help, help, we filled out a backcountry card on Wednesday afternoon evening and headed down. Camped Wednesday, started back on Thursday morning, but couldn't find the entrance to the trail leading to the car. Looked all day Thursday, slept here Thursday night, and saw headlights along mountain number three around midnight. We're headed for that peak. We've got minimal water and have been eating cactus fruit. We need help. We headed towards what appeared to be the ranch foundation to begin. If and when we reach the car, we will go to the visitor's centers and attempt to come back for gear carefully. So they ran out of water, but not out of ink, that's for sure. Yeah, how did they write this note? They had the journal. They wrote uh, the journal with them for right. the whole trip. Yeah, and left this long-ass note. Dave and Rafi walked, fully exposed to the summer sun, towards where they thought they'd spotted headlights, unknowingly traveling even further west into Rattlesnake Canyon. Although they were only mildly dehydrated at this point, this small trek would be what pushed them over the edge. As they reached the bottom of what they'd referred to as Mountain Number 3, they realized the terrain was only getting worse, making it almost impossible to climb, even if they'd been in full health. Convinced it was their way out, the two men slowly ascended the mountain, only being able to climb in short bursts. As they reached the top, they realized the mountain was topped with massive walls of limestone. Truly believing there would be a road on the other side, they began to scale the large rocks. As they reached the top, finally full of hope, they looked to the other side and saw nothing. There was no road, just more desert. Now, when they say mountain, is this like an actual like mountain, like a 5,000, 6,000 foot mountain? Or what is this? Is it just the edge of a canyon, so it looks like a mountain? Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure they... The way they refer to it, it's just the edge of the canyon. I see. Could be like a raised up edge of a canyon too. Like it's a peak with a canyon, so you got to get all the way out to see. A, can a canyon is peak. Like yeah. an off-road fury. There was a lot of those. Jump your quads in them. 
Fortunately, the men were out of Rattlesnake Canyon and should have had a decent perspective of the area around them. The park's visitor center was about six miles away and about 500 feet lower in elevation, but they should have been able to see it. Was there trees up here or was it just all rocks? They're just standing on rocks. Pure desert. There's um, like a small like spring, basically, that's surrounded by trees, kind of further down in the canyon but an oasis yeah i bet there's like mesquite trees and a whole bunch of like scrub and what's that other stuff called creosote creosote yeah it's not like the typical like i think most of the time when you say national park people think of like fir trees and pines and like it's all green and nice and this is just pure desert i feel like if it was just yeah, if it's just a mountain, like pure desert, low shit, get up high, wave your arms for a while. Someone's going to see you. I mean, a 500-foot elevation change is not that much, though. Yeah, flap them arms. Yeah, they should have been able to see something. Yeah. And they didn't. Especially if there's not 500-foot trees anywhere around. Right. <laughs> yeah, they they were just oddly at, like, Inept. one point. Yeah, that that but they were just one i guess area where things just couldn't be seen there were also large water tanks not far in the distance which neither saw multiple other landmarks that should have been visible to them and told them direction of their car were missed by both dave and rafi they continued to walk along the plateau eventually spotting rattlesnake springs a small river that stretched for around a mile surrounded by cottonwood trees Nestled next to the spring was a campsite owned by the park, but of course, neither of the men saw it. Like, just a spot where you could camp, or was there like a little ranger station or something? It was like indoor, like cabin camping, so it was like a part of the park where it's like dedicated for like handicapped kids to go camp. Oh, so like, they they have to go change the trashes and clean the toilets, somebody would have found them. Yeah, and they would have had a kitchen and food and What? So close. So close, and, you know, someone who's used to being out doing this type of thing probably might have known that. I'm and pretty sure these were amateurs. Yeah. One of them was an amateur, Roar, pay attention. And they, I mean, the camp was, like, nestled into the cottonwood trees, so they probably couldn't see it through oh, the I trees, but I assume if you see a spring full of water, you're going to walk towards that. Rafi was so exhausted he couldn't go on any longer, but told Dave if he thought he could make it to send back help. Dave considered the three-mile trek, but ultimately decided he wouldn't leave his best friend behind. Instead, the men curled up under the shade of a shrub and spent the rest of the day resting. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say for now. Hmm. I'm going to withhold judgment. Both men began to notice vultures circling high above them, and for some reason, both were convinced that the birds were attracted to those that were near death. They believed that vultures would circle until they felt their prey was unable to fight back, and then eat them alive. (laughs) Obviously, this isn't true. Vultures only eat dead things. Not near-death things, dead things. There is, like, a myth, I think, that they'll circle things that are about to die, but it's not because they're going to dive them and eat them. Yeah, they thought that they would have to, like, fight these birds off. Oh, that seems to be, like, a 
like a pop culture theme <laughs> though because i've seen it in multiple like shows and movies yeah they thought like these vultures would just somehow know when they were at the point that they were too weak to fight <laughs> off a bird <laughs> and and then they would attack them uh. I also want to note here that Rafi referred to the birds as buzzards, as do most articles and documentaries, but I'm 99.9% sure they meant vultures. I'm not an expert on this, but I got a buddy who is. We could get him in here. Someone's at the door. Let me get it real quick. Oi, I'm Mr. Birdman. <laughs> um, well, the difference between a buzzard and a vulture, that's what you want to know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't want to hear it from you, though. I want to hear it from Birdman. <laughs> well, buzzards eat their prey live, and vultures eat their prey dead. So, technically, like most raptor birds could be considered buzzards. <laughs> buzzards kind of look like, like a Harris hawk. Okay. Yeah. Buzzards are yeah, but the difference is uh, food source, dead or alive, because technically prey. Oh, Bon Jovi. Yes. (laughs) Wanted, dead or alive. Buzzards eat like mice and small bugs. Anything really? And vultures only eat dead stuff. Vultures are the ones with the bald heads. Difference between a a carrion bird and a bird of prey. So what you want to do? I don't know what you want. All right, now don't start that again. Isn't that supposed to be the Beatles? <laughs> it might be. They're, yeah. they're vultures, right? Or are those yeah. buzzards? Those are supposedly vultures. I don't think we have buzzards in America, but for some reason all of America refers to vultures as buzzards. Like it's an interchangeable word when they're not at all the same type of bird. Feeling completely hopeless and terrified of being eaten alive, the men decided that their best bet was to walk back to their camp at the bottom of Rattlesnake Canyon. So just to verify, they were vultures, not buzzards, so mm. they weren't going to eat them alive. Even a buzzard wouldn't eat you alive. It's not going to attack a human. Right, but technically a, bu- a, a buzzard eats live mice. Yes. All right. A vulture, I mean, a vulture would have eaten them if they had died, but... I'm I, just giving them a tiny bit of the shadow of the doubt, you know? I'm sure that there was something else that they were circling. <laughs> they're circling a canyon like I'm sure there's something dead in the canyon that they want yeah they're just sitting there and they're all freaking out we can't stop here this is buzzard country <laughs> about halfway down the mountain they were so desperate for water they decided they would drink their own urine filtering it through Rafi's baseball hat <laughs> I don't know why he said that it would filter out he thought it would filter out some of like the bad stuff in it. You gotta re uh, introduce sodium into your you know body, so you gotta piss through a sweaty hat. Yeah, I it's... don't. I don't know what the logic was. Like, there's no solids in your urine that your baseball hat is going to filter out. <laughs> they had their empty water bottles, so they... imagine how much pee they wasted with the hat thing. I mean, it was probably a Red Sox hat. <laughs> So after he filtered it, Rafi attempted to drink, but he was unable to stomach it and began to gag. Probably because of the sweat, not because it was pee. This is likely for the best, as the body actually uses more water attempting to filter consumed urine than it gains from drinking it. So don't drink your own pee. If you're ever lost in the desert, suck on a stone. As they continued to walk, the men began to hallucinate, another typical sign of dehydration. 
They believe they saw two bottles of water sitting on a small wall at the bottom of the canyon. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> Relieved, they rush to it, only to find nothing. Shit. <laughs> it's like, do you see that? Do you think they knew they were having hallucinations, or do you think they were just severely disappointed that they <laughs> did, can't find the water? <laughs> I don't like, think it was just here. I don't think they knew as they were seeing it, but I think they, and I think they kind of fed into each other, like, oh, you see that too, right? And it's kind like, of look over there. Is that a water bottle? Yeah, it is, bro. Neither of them were wearing their glasses. You guys didn't watch enough Bible shows when you were kids because you'd know exactly what it's like to be stuck in the desert and hallucinate an oasis. No, my parents didn't like to torture me. It's like the main theme of every Old Testament book. So-and-so, stuck in desert, out of water, God saved, but not until he showed him six oasises first. Yeah, like it a, seems like a cruel trick from God. Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, like, he's like, look here, look here. Oh no, but that—that's that's Satan. Oh, what that's was what Satan. was the number six? I made that part up. Oh, he'd show him some oasises, you know, and tell him not to stop there. <laughs> this is Buzzard Country. <laughs> As they continued back to camp, they noticed a Karen they believed they hadn't seen before. Not only hallucinating, they were also growing delusional, believing that park rangers had come out and moved or placed new cairns around the canyon to confuse them. That part's sad. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty great park ranger trick, though. <laughs> they, Rafi said that they truly thought that the park rangers came out and set up the cairn, so if since something had happened to them, it would basically relieve them of any responsibility of them being lost. Because they didn't mark the trails properly. I see. Uh, yeah, because park rangers take a lot of responsibility for hikers. There's like a sign at the beginning of like every trailhead that's like, watch out for park ranger goofums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, also, you know, be careful. Do this, do that. Watch for snakes. Always good advice. Suffering from not only the mental symptoms of dehydration and exhaustion, Dave also began to have an extremely hard time walking. His legs were so weak he had to support himself on Rafi's shoulder, and the two stumbled back to their campsite. So it went from Rafi being like, I can't make it, I can't make it. Now Dave can't make it? Yeah, they were kind of going back and forth on who was feeling worse. Sounds like Rafi was being a little bit uh, tricky. Hmm, suspicious. So they eat their beans already? No, they never ate the beans. Oh my god, there is some water in the beans. Yeah, they were eating prickly pear fruit though. They were getting a decent amount of food and water from that. Didn't you say there was a river? Why didn't they go to the river? It was too far of a walk. <sighs> they couldn't make it. They thought that if they just went back to camp that the park rangers would be there to get <laughs> them or set up more cairns. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like Blair Witch. They're going to walk out of their tent and their tent's going to be surrounded by Karens. Some of the park rangers coming out and messing with them while they sleep. Waking the next morning, they decided to go back to the mysterious Karen to see if it was the way out. It was their last hope. Once they reached it, they began attempting to piece together how the trails might be laid out. Should have done that before, I think. After staring at the ground and their surroundings for some time, they gave up. Dave went back to camp and began to pile stones into a large SOS. Rafi took over moving the stones while Dave attempted to find enough brush to make a signal fire. Rafi never finished the last S, and the smoke from the fire did not rise high enough to be seen outside the canyon walls. 
The two officially gave up hope. Rafi never finished the S, huh? No, he was too tired. And after the fire didn't work. Because one of the big rules of the of the park was you're not allowed to have fires. No, no fire pits at all. So they figured if something was on fire, someone would notice. Yeah, should have burnt more. If it was in Arizona, we would have got them. Our park rangers are better. One thing they did burn was Dave's sleeping bag, which everyone finds slightly suspicious, I guess. Huh. Because there was evidence in that sleeping bag. They spent the rest of the day sheltering in their tent, writing goodbye notes to their family, and creating last-minute wills. Finally, they decided that they were going to end their lives together. Using Rafi's pocket knife, both attempted to cut their wrists, but neither had the strength, both physical and mental, to cut deep enough. And were they going the right direction? I'm not sure which way they cut themselves, honestly, but they they all had like a lot of superficial wounds on their arms ah. that was noted were not caused by walking through brush. Hmm. During the night, Dave began to vomit uncontrollably. He was in the worst stage of dehydration. Everything hurt, and he was sick beyond belief. Both men truly believed that they were going to die in Rattlesnake Canyon, suffering until their last breath. Dave made one final request to Rafi, who described it in their journal. Quote, I killed and buried my best friend today. Dave had been in pain all night. At around five or six, he turned to me and begged that I put my knife through his chest. I did, and a second time when he wouldn't die. He still breathed and spoke, so I told him I was going to cover his face. He said okay. He struggled, but died. I buried him with love. God and his family and mine, please forgive me. Damn. I don't think I could go through with it. I mean, you've told Jake you're going to kill him so many times. Yeah, but that's just, just playtime killing. And you've also... <laughs> You've also wished ass cancer on me many times. That's a slow death. We'd still have plenty of time to hang out. You wouldn't mercy kill your best friend? I mean, if Jake was, like, really dying, I mean, if he was just really dehydrated, I'd probably just let him go into shock and die. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't force it upon him. <laughs> I mean, if we're trapped out there, I'm definitely not burying you there either. I'm carrying you like a backpack. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Well, I'll pop your sockets backwards so you, your, leg, your legs and arms can link up. <laughs> and then people just see Rory like come strutting out of fucking canyon all refreshed. My beard's all fucked up and crazy looking. I'm like, I got you here, buddy. I've you got, knew the way out the whole time. <laughs> got no. Oh, well, now we're getting too close to possible real theories here, okay? Yeah, I don't think I could stab you in the chest a couple times to kill you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not even the hardest part. Then you got to suffocate me, too. That'd probably be way easier. If you asked me to suffocate you, that might be a go. <laughs> you just couldn't stab him. Nah. I'd roll a boulder off of another boulder onto your head. I would appreciate that a lot more <laughs> than anything else, really, I think. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck yeah, this is some Looney Tunes shit. <laughs> On the morning of August 8th, four days after Dave and Rafi had arrived in Carlsbad Caverns, a park volunteer named John Keebler drove past the trailhead to Rattlesnake Canyon and noticed a Mazda protege parked in the lot, 
I thought you were going to say that he hopped out of his tree that morning. <laughs> when he arrived at the visitor center, he mentioned the car to park ranger Lance Matson, who realized he'd seen the car when it arrived four days earlier. Looking at the camping permits filed away, he realized that the men were due back three days ago. Matson and Keebler headed to the canyon and hiked their way in. Not too far down the path, while still on the descent, Matson could easily see Dave in Rafi's tent. It was pitched only about 250 feet from the trail into the canyon. 250 feet and about 20 minutes, and Dave and Rafi would have been back to their car. This is why you don't stab your best friend in the chest. Especially at night, bro. Wait till the morning. Yeah. It was five or six in the morning. Oh. When he finally killed him. Well, that's terrible. I bet Rafi cried a lot. I'll bet Rafi planned this whole fucking thing. Ooh, let's get to theories after we finish the episode. As Matson approached the tent, he found Rafi laying inside and asked if everything was okay. And Rafi was like, fuck yeah, gravy. <laughs> Rafi asked for water, but immediately threw up after drinking, a sign he was dehydrated. He was also angry, asking Matson why he wasn't there earlier. When Rafi was asked where his friend was, he pointed to a large gathering of stones. Matson was confused, and when he asked where, Rafi calmly said, I killed him. I killed him and dug a deep hole while I was exhausted and dehydrated. Did he have a shovel with him? He didn't, like, bury him in a hole. He covered him with rocks, basically. Oh, that's like a, like a desert burial. After being given a saline drip and a helicopter ride to the hospital, Rafi recovered rather quickly. It's debated just how dehydrated he was, as he bounced back relatively fast after the banana bag. But doesn't, isn't that how it works with dehydration? Like one minute you could be potentially borderline ready to have your kidneys fail, and then you get liquid and it's like, ooh. Usually, good. I think it usually takes a, a little bit of recovery just to kind of balance out your sodium levels again, but I think it's... Typically quick. The biggest question lies in Dave's grave. The stones Rafi used to bury him were relatively large, with the biggest weighing around 70 pounds. And see, that's the one I would have used to crush Rory's head. I'm not lifting that thing on it to cover him with. That's too small. Bigger. What if it just bounces off? <laughs> off your head? Off I don't think head. a 70-pound rock is going to bounce off your skull. I have been told <laughs> I am hard-headed. <laughs> Don't think it works like that. Many question how a man who was severely dehydrated and was on the verge of death was able to exert so much energy. I'm with the many. Dave's level of dehydration is also questioned. Some believe that his vomiting spell was not from dehydration, but rather from eating copious amounts of unripe prickly pear fruit, which apparently can make you very sick. Yeah, it's not ripe. It's got to have bad pH levels. Science corner with Jake. The autopsy revealed that had Rafi not stabbed Dave, he would have made it out of the canyon alive. No, duh, they were only 250 feet away from the... And like four hours from rescue. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Terrible. Good, good job, Rafi. The biggest question stemming from Rafi's account of the events was, how does someone kill their best friend? With a knife. With a boulder. <laughs> Preferably. Yeah. That was a, that was a probably, a, well, let's say that takes two minutes. That's the worst two minutes of Dave's life, probably. I wonder if they just got into a little squabble. 
After recovering in the hospital, Rafi was arrested for the second-degree murder of David Coughlin and booked into jail. His father, Hal Kajikian, booked a flight to Carlsbad and immediately bailed Rafi out of jail. A week after Rafi's rescue from Rattlesnake Canyon, he was allowed to return home to Pennsylvania, and Dave returned to his hometown of Wellesley. His funeral was held, and to many attendees' surprise, Dave's family held no ill will towards Rafi for what he'd done. When the FBI was given the case to investigate, the agent interviewing Dave's father was shocked when he said, quote, If Rafi killed my son, there had to be good reason for it, and I hold no malice toward him. Jake, if you ever murdered me, my dad would be very malicious. Yeah, I think my parents would be the same. Yeah. (laughs) Your dad's in Uruguay, though, so I'm just going to lie to him. Just pretend you're me. (laughs) It's going to be like, no, Jeff, he's pooping. I'll get him to call you as as, as soon as the time zones align. Friends of Dave's, on the other hand, were skeptical of Rafi's mercy killing story. They held the belief that Dave would have stuck it out rather than ask his best friend to end his life. Theories that Dave had spent too much time with Rafi's girlfriend, inciting jealousy, began to circulate, but there's no way to tell how much truth there is to them. Some even claim that Dave had slept with her, but neither the girlfriend nor the accuser would actually commit to saying so under the penalty of perjury. That's why he got stabbed. You think it's all over the girlfriend? Wait for, wait, 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 wait. In April of 2000, the case was close to going to trial, and both the defense and the prosecution seemed to come to similar conclusions. Dave Coughlin's murder was indeed a mercy killing. The problem was, even if the defense convinced the jury of this, mercy killing is still legally murder. Watching any documentaries on this case, and you'll hear the same saying over and over, you can't just kill someone because they ask you to. Was that ever questioned? I think you gotta have it on video, signed affidavit, notarized, then maybe you can. Affidavit. Whatever, David, he's affidavit. Well, you have to get it signed after you give it to David. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rory, for clearing up my confusions. It's just a weird legal precedent, because at this point, there was, I think, one or two states that had physician-assisted suicide legalized. That's what I'm saying. technically is, I guess, a mercy killing. But the the thing with assisted suicide is that they just give you the drugs. And the person killing themselves essentially has to mix everything and take it themselves. They can't have anyone else involved. Well, Rafi's like a financial advisor, right? Yes. So he's like basically a doctor. Sure. So he could do it. But you can't. It's just it's just a really weird because I mean if someone asks you to kill them and you do it, should you still serve the same prison sentence as someone that didn't ask to be murdered? No, half, half. Yeah, so third, that was maybe. that was what basically they were trying to argue in court. So I, my like the only time you should like be able to kill someone if they have like a serious disease. Obviously, I believe in that. But war. The other time is like if they're like. And they're like, kill me, because they're, like, bleeding out of their throat. Oh, and they don't want to choke on their own blood, so they'd rather... Yeah, or, like, they got all their limbs chopped off or something. So if they're they're actively dying, you can assist them. Yeah, it's just like, you know, they're going to die anyway. Someone could argue that if Dave lays there for the next 23 days, he's going to die. That's true. 
And they, the defense tried to, they attempted a temporary insanity case, which is not a full defense, so he would still go to prison. And then they also attempted involuntary intoxication, saying that his dehydration caused his sodium levels to be so out of whack that it basically intoxicated him. Should have ate the beans. That would have been more sodium. That would have been more sodium. Yeah, he had too much sodium in his body. Sodium and potassium basically keep you alive. Ah, so he needed more potassium. He needed a banana. No, he needed less sodium. He needed more water. Yeah. Ah, and a banana. Not no. the wateriest of fruits. You said banana bag. Yeah, that's a bag you know of bananas. What that is? I'm trying to clarify for people who might not know what the banana bag is. I assumed that it was like a bag full of banana juice, potassium, water. It's real hard to juice a banana. Like, once again, they're not the juiciest of fruits. It's a bit of a smoothie, but it still goes in the blood. That's right. If you're ever sick, kids, just squeeze some banana in your blood. I would not recommend. Only doctors should do it. And also, you're supposed to mix it with saline. Watch out for the spiders. The best bet for Rafi was to plead guilty to second-degree murder and go straight to sentencing, where the judge was willing to allow extensive testimony given the odd circumstances of the case. Rafi agreed, and his sentencing hearing began in May of 2000. After a significant amount of testimony, including Rafi's, the judge returned to the courtroom. Rafi was given 15 years in prison, but 13 years of that would be suspended. He would only spend 24 months in prison. Due to his good behavior, Rafi only ended up spending 16 months behind bars. Man, 16 months for murdering your best friend? That's that's pretty light. It's a lose on both both ends. I'm not. I've changed my stance on it. I'm not murdering Rory because I'm not willing to go to prison for 16 years, 16 months, potentially 15 years. Well, and Rafi said in an interview after the trial, he was like, "I know I didn't get a lot of prison time, but this is still a life sentence because I have to live with the fact that I killed my best friend." Yeah, I'm sure it's really bothering you there, Rafi. In 2001, those who questioned how Dave and Rafi were able to get lost in the small space of Rattlesnake Canyon were shown once again that it was possible. A man out hiking in the canyon found an envelope laying on the ground. Inside was a goodbye letter written by Emily Schumann, who stated she was lost in the canyon and believed she wasn't going to make it out alive. Fortunately, her story ended better than Dave's. After Dave searching by foot, a search and rescue plane flew over the canyon and spotted Emily waving her shirt. She had been lost for two days and was almost out of water. Oh, so they only noticed it because the woman had her shirt off. Patriarchy, man. The patriarchy. Uh, I have a theory. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so you know when you think you're about to die and you do like a deathbed confession of all the horrible things? Okay. He confessed to getting with Rafi's girlfriend. Struggle ensued. Stabby, stabby. Oh, yeah, a little shiv shiv. Yeah, and then uh, regret because the reason he lost his temper was because he was so dehydrated, but he couldn't stand the cuckolding. Interesting. Um, the girlfriend did say that she had never slept with Dave. Well, she's going to say that. Um, I, okay, so I believe her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say you don't believe her. Didn't a, neither one of them were willing to go to trial to say that under oath, though, right? The accuser and uh, 
I don't think the accuser went to trial. The girlfriend did get up on stand and say, no, I never slept with Dave. We were just really good friends. Because hmm. they did take a trip, so... It's just like we never fell asleep. <laughs> originally, when Dave went scouting at UC Santa Barbara, he and Rafi's girlfriend went together because they were very good friends. And so the assumption is that at some point during that trip to California, something happened between the two of them. She says, no, nothing never happened. The accuser never would, like, say in front of police that somebody... Who was the accuser? So-and-so, I'm not sure. But he would never, like, say in police, like, written police statements that, yes, so-and-so told me that they had slept together. Interesting. I stick with my theory. I don't think you could kill your best friend unless it's a heated moment of unbridled anger. So here's the thing, okay? If me and Rory were best friends for however long... How long were they best friends for? Like five years. Oh, man, we're way past that. All right. Well, either way, if, uh, if Rory was like, all right, Jake, I've had enough of this. I'm moving to Uruguay later... Maybe I get mad and take him hiking and kill him. See, and if Jake, like, farted in my eye and gave me pink eye, I would definitely, like, take him to the desert and feed him to the buzzards. Okay, no, but here's my real theory, all right? Is that Dave is moving on with his life. Rafi isn't a doctor. He's a financial guy. So he's... He and He's a journalist. Oh, why? You just told me earlier he was a financial yeah, guy. Yeah, but he went to school to be a journalist and attempted to become a journalist. Okay. But it's hard to get your foot in the door so in journalism. So his life is not going like he expected. He can't get his journalism job, you know? And here goes Dave getting his awesome job and moving away and leaving him behind. He, he didn't get school. a job. He was going to get his master's degree. Same thing. This is why we shouldn't record two nights apart. Had this theory all wrapped up in a bow yesterday. So, okay. I get what you're saying. So Rafi is going to attempt to steal his life, and he makes a mistake because he can't find his way out after he kills him. That is great. Good theory, Jake. <laughs> I think I should start over. So you are you think that Rafi I, was jealous Dave was going to California to go back to college? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At a very expensive University of California, Santa Barbara. Yeah, I do. To become an environmental no. creator. No, Rafi was mad that Dave was moving on with his life, getting away from Rafi. Nobody gets away from Rafi. Nobody. Is that going to do it for us this week? I mean, week? I have a theory. Or well, I've, well, I've heard it. a theory. So Let's hear your the, theory. The reigning theory on Reddit seems to be that at some point there was hallucinogenics involved. And that somehow they went to the desert and they were going to just hang out and take some mushrooms. And during a bad trip, that is how Dave was killed. Interesting. Or how they got lost. I mean, I imagine if you go out and you eat a bunch of shrooms in the middle of the desert and you wander, you're going to get lost. But you'd have to eat a lot of shrooms to be tripping and get lost for three days in a little tiny area like that. The lost thing, maybe. The tripping so hard you kill your friend? I don't think so. Yeah, that's that was just a theory I saw on Reddit. But, I mean, I, I think it was a mercy killing. I think that 
Dave asked to be killed and Rafi was so desperate that he agreed. And I mean, they were all covered in cuts from trying to kill themselves. So obviously it was a desperate situation. What if it went like, oh, this is literally the worst pain. Kill me. Kill me now. And then just he did it. I mean, he was up with Dave all night. Dave was vomiting like nonstop. Like he literally couldn't get off his hands and knees. He couldn't lay down. So says Rafi. Because, yeah, as soon as he stood up, he would start throwing or as soon as he laid down he would start throwing up and Rafi was throwing up too and so it was just well I'm glad he did 16 months yeah I feel bad for the guy actually but yeah uh, he killed his friend yeah I don't give a fuck what his friend said shut the fuck up we're, we're gonna be out soon they didn't know that they truly 100% believed that they were going to oh suffer my. and die oh my I don't believe it I changed my answer. I'm going to hit you with a branch of a tree. <laughs> Good. Let me pull it back real far and just like <laughs> see how far it launches yeah. them. Rafi, <laughs> Rafi was a somewhat experienced outdoorsman. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. And guess who survived? Rafi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Experience. Somewhat. And somewhat he was, experienced. He was not that dehydrated. He was not that fucked up. And then, you know... Oh, and then also at one point he went from being Mr. I can't go any farther to now I'm rolling giant stones over my friend. There was, I also didn't mention because I thought it was kind of silly. At one point, I think Rafi for maybe for the Boston Globe or just like a freelance article wrote a story about someone that gets lost in the desert. Irony. Classy. And they thought that he was like trying to live out some fantasy. Before or after? Before. (laughs) Done. Fucking fuck Rafi. Fuck this guy. I'm calling it. I'm not, but is that going to do it for us this week, That Katie? is it, yes. Is Rafi still alive? I believe so. Come at me, bro. All right, guys. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if your name is Rafi and you want to reach out to Jake, feel free to send us an email to fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast. And our Facebook group, Four Corners Crimecast Discussion Group. And don't forget to check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can get a full episode list, and you can go to submit an idea for an episode that you might want to hear, or you can get a free sticker from our merch store by typing in the code BINGOBANGO at checkout, and we will ship it out to you 100% for free. I do want to say, I've been reading Outlaw Southwest by Ron... Francel, and that's where I've been getting a good portion of these episodes because it's nice. basically just like some very short summaries of crimes that have happened in Arizona, New Mexico. Oh, and then you hunt them down? And then, yeah, I research them. Cool. All right, guys. Well, I guess we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers!